Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 84 of A Play on Nerds. This is our 666 Spooky Spectacular, which we will explain later on. Uh, but before that, my name is Jarman and my co-host is here. I'm Steve. Woohoo! And so what does a 666 Spooky Spectacular mean, Steve? So, there, it is rare in most film for films to get to a sixth film in a franchise. Yes. <laughs> and this is rare everywhere. Except for in the horror genre, where it seems to happen all the time. Uh, so we picked three sixth installments of three slasher films. In this case, Friday the 13th, Halloween, and Nightmare on Elm Street. The three the big sixth, ones. The, the sixth film in each of those. And we're going to compare, contrast, and review uh, in a six six sixth film spectacular. <laughs> spooky spectacular. Six six sixth film spooky spectacular. This is beautiful. That's so that's coming up later in the show. It's for our, you know, of course, in honor of Halloween, quickly that's approaching. Right. But uh, yeah, so what have you been up to since our last episode, our Star Trek and Orville episode? Uh, well, uh, in the home front, uh, I have gone from having a baby to a toddler. Oh, goodness. And while toddlers are defined as being uh, 12 months to three years old, uh, most parents say that toddlerhood doesn't begin until a child begins walking. And Joyce, in the course of three days, went from being a crawler to a full-on walker. Jeez, that's fast. How old is she now, then? Uh, year and a month or something. We're getting, I don't know. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, I don't know after after a year, I don't measure on weeks. I don't care. Yeah, there's no point. <laughs> She's still alive. That's what's important. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so she is just a walking machine. Very cool. She doesn't crawl anywhere anymore, ever. Has that made things more dangerous, I'm assuming, around the household? She like we thought she could get places real fast while she was crawling, but it's just a different level of maneuverability, of course, now. And she can get everywhere in no time <laughs> and knock things over, run into things, fall over. Yeah. So it's uh, that's a lot of fun on the home front. And then uh, at work, we had uh, our big holiday. Each org has their own big holiday kind of party. Mm. And uh, they did ours in October. Um, and it was a fall fiesta theme. Interesting. And they rented out this place called Pachetti Wineries in the north end of the Santa Cruz Mountains. And gorgeous barns and buildings and a stage. And they had brought in a Ferris wheel and food carts and food trucks. Is this just for your department or like the whole building? This is our, our org. Your org? What does that so, mean? So... <laughs> a couple a couple hundred people worth of organization. Okay, gotcha. We all fall under one director. So one de you can say department kind of. Sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like a few departments that are grouped together. Yeah, we don't, I mean, Apple, they always boast about our non-conformist corporate structure. And so it makes it hard to define sort of to other people. We don't have a department, we have an org. <laughs> right, exactly. That kind of stuff. 
Okay, hipster um, bastards. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just makes it hard to define sometimes. Exactly. So, but it was extravagant and insane. Anna got to go. We ditched the kid with her mom. Unlimited drinks, unlimited food. Uh, they had like a 12-piece mariachi band with singers and at least 20 dancers. My goodness. That performed at least three, I think, three sets over the course of the night. It was insane. And then, and then out of nowhere, they would like bring out new things. So like all of a sudden, I'd see people walking around with bacon, bacon wrapped hot dogs. And I was like, wait, 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 what that, where those happen? They're like, I don't know. They just set up a cart and then everyone rush over and get bacon wrapped hot dogs. Like, <laughs> I don't know where it came from. It's magical. Uh, photo, photo booth inside, you know, just a lot of, of that kind of kitschy stuff, but a, a lot of fun. They really did it out for us. And it was for what occasion? Um, so every org does a holiday party. Right. Kind of early and for this, a holiday party, I guess. Right. My my assumption is that venues like that during the holiday times get booked up or they can increase their prices. That's true. So to make it more extravagant, they probably book at a more convenient time of year. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, and they really, any money they saved on booking the venue, I mean, they really paid back. They, they did it up. Sounds awesome. Uh, and then last night, we, uh, my coworker threw a small Halloween get-together early helping to get together at his place. And uh, we went with Joyce and we went in a family costume, Aww. our first family costume. What was it? Uh, so Joyce uh, wore a dress that was actually Anna's that Anna's mom kept. <laughs> that is this pink kind of puffy shouldered monstrosity from the eighties. Of course, but looks like 11 from stranger things, pink dress. Oh like yeah. A lot. Uh, and so that paired with her dark blue jacket, she became 11. Nice. Anna went as Joyce because all you need is a striped shirt and like a dark button down. That was the crazy mom? Yeah, the mom. Okay. Winona Ryder. Winona. <laughs> and then I took one of my old paint shirts that it's tan and uh, drew a giant Eggo waffle on the stomach. <laughs> uh-huh. so, so I was the Eggo waffle. Joyce was 11. <laughs> and, Anna, and Anna was Joyce. It make more sense if you went as the the sheriff instead of a waffle. Well, the sheriff has more parts of the costume, and I just had an old T-shirt, so I made do. That's really funny. Well, then, plus, so we finally we planned this this family costume, and then my buddy Jason tells me the guy who threw the party tells me a few days later, oh yeah, uh, just uh, we're kind of canceling the the costume part. Oh, jeez. And I said, well, I'll be damned if we're not coming in costume. <laughs> yeah. So we're the only people that showed up in costume. Good for you. I mean, it's freaking Halloween, right. people. It's kind of Halloween. Put in a little effort here. Just a little. So we, we did it, and we played some fun board games, and Joyce behaved herself pretty well. And That's great. And the night was over when we thought that she was down for sleep, and then we went up, and she threw up all over me. So that was, uh, <laughs> that was how we decided to call the evening. Fatherhood. But we, we did get to stay out 45 minutes later than we thought we were going to be able to. So overall parent victory. There you go. Were there other kids at the party? Oh, no. Oh, okay. It ended up being a much smaller crowd. It was it was literally my immediate lab team oh, and, gotcha. and, and significant others, and that was it. Well, that sounds like fun, though. A yeah. milestone, your first family costume. That's right. Of many more so, yeah, to come. All of that's been going on. I've actually had interesting things. Normally, I'm struggling to find things to talk about, but I actually have things. And now the police are coming to your house. That's right. <laughs> uh, so what have you been up to? Uh, well, I uh, went down to visit my uh, girlfriend, who's now permanently stationed in Marco Island, Florida, which was pretty much destroyed by Hurricane Irma. But they've, wow. they've got it back up and running. The hotel that she works at 
and I went there and there's just furniture all, all along the streets uh, that's been thrown out because it was all waterlogged and trees that are all been cut down. So they pretty much have everything cleaned up. It's just a matter of it's all sitting on this road waiting to be picked right, up. Right, getting it, getting it shipped out. Yeah, and they're still repairing some elevators and that kind of thing, but uh, mostly it's back to normal. And uh, That's good. I helped her move into a place she's renting while she stays there. She comes home for like three days a week and then goes stays there the rest of the week. So uh, we, she's renting out a room at this lady's house. And we painted it and got furniture for it and everything. So that was a, a lot of work, a lot of fun bonding experience. Uh, and then I went to a gala not long ago to uh, save the turtles. <laughs> I know. I saw I saw your fancy tuxedo picture. You oh, glorious yeah. bastard. <laughs> Well, my parents, they're, one of their clients uh, works with this guy who um, has been working with turtles and tortoises his whole life. Um, he's originally from the UK, um, and I'm forgetting his name right now, which is terrible because the whole event was about him. Um, but basically, this raising money because he's, um, yeah, I think he has Alzheimer's is what the deal is. So he's uh, quickly degenerating. But they want to honor him and um, fund his organization that conserves turtles and researches them. So they everyone pays money for these fancy seats at these tables and black tie event and you get, you know, food and unlimited drinks and uh, they had music and they had these people playing violins and cellos that were all electric and like playing pop songs on cello and violin. It was very unusual, but uh, yeah, so that was a good fancy time. I don't get to dress up very often these days because I'm sitting in a booth doing nothing. So it's nice right. to get out. <laughs> dressing on is putting up, dressing up is putting on pants with a button. <laughs> exactly. That's, you know, that's how you draw the line. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much all I've been doing and, uh, not much nerdy stuff, but I, you know, still keeping my D and D groups together. You Good. still with your D and D group? Yeah. Our DM had to cancel this last time. Ours too. Uh, and I, and, and I jokingly said, all right, but I'm getting 250 cancellation XP. Cause it was really <laughs> last minute, like really last minute. See both my D and D groups. Now they're both the DMS. They don't do XP like XP, like every character thing you kill gets you so much. It's more like milestones. Like, okay, so once you beat this story arc, you'll be level 17 or something like that, you know? Yeah. Our DM, uh, this is his first time being a DM in general. Yeah. And even though he's played before, it was all three five. So this is his first time in five and his first time DMing. So he's very, he's just kind of sticking to the rules while he's learning. Totally understandable. Yeah. um, And I think once he gets more comfortable, I think he'll realize, because that's what I hear most DMs do. Kind of like they don't worry about individual XP. They decide like, okay, after the completion of this dungeon, everyone levels up. Or like you went off in a side room and you convinced this demon not to kill your whole party. So he gives you like, you know, a level instead of your friends because you did an amazing feat by yourself or something like that. So it's it's all unique. Um, But yeah, he's still learning. So he's sticking pretty close to the rules. But it makes sense. I do the same thing. It's good, though. I it's nice knowing exactly when I'm going to level because I'm doing the math. That's true. You can keep up in your head. Follow along. Right. So I think I've got like two or three more sessions until I hit level six. Nice. We're already at level, uh, I think 13 in one, one of my groups. Cause they, he really fast tracks. He fast tracks Holy the story crap. pretty fast in, uh, my other group. I'm, he wants everyone exactly to get to we're the like fun all point. gods or something. <laughs> you can do lots the other of group stuff. I'm level seven yeah. for like, you know, six months. So <laughs> it's all different. It's always different. <laughs> but anyway, I think that covers our updates. So are we going on some nerdy news? I think it's time for some nerdy news. I think it's time. Mm -hmm. It's time for nerdy news. (laughs) 
So what do you got for us this week, Steve? So to stay in the spooky Hollywood... Ho- Halloween. <laughs> it's all spooky Hollywood. Hollywood themes. <laughs> There's some spooky Hollywood stories out there. So, uh, you know, I don't but none of them are going to be mentioned here. No. So <laughs> the spooky Halloween theme. Yeah. Uh, my clever name for my uh, news story is Dry Bones and Scorpion Venom. Ooh. All right. So in the first story, uh, which are dry bones part of it, uh, they have officially dated and found what they believe is the oldest fossil of Homo sapiens. And it pushes us back. Uh, so it, up until 2003, they thought humans had Homo sapiens had been around for 60 to 70,000 years. Right. And then they found this part of a skull that took us to like 100 and 165. And then shortly after that, they found this other piece took us to 195. And that's sort of where it's been sitting. Homo you mean, sapiens. You mean 6,000 years ago, right? Right, exactly. You got it. <laughs> um, so now this new jaw piece that was found in um, in Morocco uh, takes us back to 300,000 years. With homo, full-on Homo sapiens. Full-on Homo sapiens. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, and I just love that, that I feel like I've reported this story at least three times over the history of this show. That's true. Because every every day we're finding out, oh, nope. We just keep pushing that date back, just huh. keep pushing that date back. So, yeah, I thought that this is cool news. So that's dry bones and then scorpion venom. <laughs> uh, so the scientists studied whether scorpions uh, v- venom, which is made of three main components, um, chemicals, essentially make up um, if it changes based on their environment or what they're encountering. And what they says, they basically have three components in their venom. Uh, one is good for killing just about everything. Another one is more geared towards insect. And the other one is more geared t- towards mammalian. Mm-hmm. So the thought being that their venom can skew towards their prey or their predators, bigger animals, right? depending. What, uh, and they so want to eat, things they want to kill. Right, right. So they took these scorpions and they exposed them to fake predators over and over again and then took these measurements. And then same thing, they exposed them to prey and then took these measurements. And they found that, yes, over time, scorpions uh, actually in some ways can biologically control the makeup of their venom, hmm. depending on what they're trying to kill. Wow. So, like, to, to make it very specific towards those creatures. Right, right. Wow. That's impressive. And yeah, dangerous. it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Uh, so, yeah, that that's uh, dry bones and scorpion venom. <laughs> So, what do you bring us to the world of nerd news? Nerd news? Nerd news. Nerd 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 news. Nerd Hollywood news. horror nerd news. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I have three little small stories I'll go through pretty quickly. Uh, one is something that's kind of exciting because I am still enjoying both The Walking Dead and Fear the Walking Dead. I think okay. they're both enjoyable shows in their own way. And they have announced that they officially will have a crossover character at the very least very soon in those two shows because they take place on the opposite coast. Like one's in Georgia, North Carolina, that area. And the other one takes place in California, Mexico on that in the West Coast. So and different time periods, too. So it'll be complicated how they're going to mix the two shows together and at least one of those cast members. Um, So that's kind of exciting for us deadheads that out there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another story is that strange debris washes up in North Carolina after a mysterious boom. So a lot of these boom stories have been happening over the years where across the country around within a period of weeks, there'll be booms across the world. 
and no one can explain them. It doesn't happen again for another six months. And then all of a sudden a big wave of booms happen across the world. and No one can explain okay. it. Uh, well, this one might have a more terrestrial explanation, but it's still a little weird. Uh, they had a giant boom on October 7th, it was a Sunday, in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And locals thought it even sounded like a bomb that went off in the sky, basically. Um, it shocked everybody. They felt like there was a shock wave coming from it. Uh, but nothing else happened. Nothing exploded. Nothing was reported. Um, people called the news stations. They called the Air Force. They said, what the hell was that? And no explanation was given. And they said, oh, we'll investigate. And about a week later, um, about 100 miles away, a big cap of some kind of um, missile or something washes up on the shore in North Carolina. Uh, and so they think it has to be related somehow because it has markings on it and stuff that are, you know, barcodes and that kind of thing. Okay. So there no, no official explanations are given by the government, but there's like, what the hell happened? So I, I'm thinking it was some kind of experiment gone wrong. They tried to shoot something off into space and it blew up and they don't want to admit it. Um, but it's kind of scary that can happen right here in the United States and something can blow yeah. up in the sky <laughs> and not be talked about. I mean, the other thing is, is that there's more and more heart, you know, heightened amateur stuff going on and corporate you know, things the, too. Yeah. Yeah. Cor yeah. The, that, you know, maybe some amateurs put together a drone and it exploded midair. Yeah. And, you know, no, they don't want to fess up to that and get all the fines and tickets that come you know, I mean, it wasn't a big, big drone, but yeah, definitely. But possible. yeah, I mean, I've seen videos of stuff online that, you know, amateurs are putting together at home. It's absolutely incredible. It's pretty huge. Yeah. Now with the advent of 3d printing and being able to make custom parts in your bedroom, like, yeah. So who knows? The sky is the li not the limit. <laughs> uh, okay, so another, my last little small story is that uh, we're, there's more and more tension right now between us and Russia, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, us, us being the U.S. And so recently there's a regular payload that Russia sends up to the International Space Station, which has fuel. It has food supplies for the, the cosmonauts that are up there, which is totally normal. Um, cool. But the pictures that they found of the most recent payload going up there has an additional part to it that is not explained. And so when the U.S. asked Russia, what the heck is that extra part that you're sending up there? They said when NASA officials asked their Russian counterparts what the device might be, they were told only that it is intended for a scientific use and is designed only for a one way trip. Russian space officials refuse to divulge any more information. <laughs> So they're setting something up to the space station and they won't tell us what it is. It's for a one way trip and it's something scientific. So it kind of reminds people of the, you know, uh, the Cold War back in the day when all these secrets were kept and it could be some kind of technology that would be dangerous. But we have no idea. And they don't have to tell us, really. Yeah, I mean, and here's the thing. Even if it is some tech they don't want to tell us about, it doesn't make it nefarious technology. Probably not. It's just Russia we're talking about. <laughs> right. But. Here's the thing. They're not. I know that Putin gets a bad rap, but our we got our president, Donald Trump. How much better are we uh, like, <laughs> you know, they're not all crazy scientists looking to destroy us. Well, he's actually a Putin. Is Maybe actually it's some worse solar tech that they're going to revolutionize world world power. Wouldn't that be amazing? But That'd yeah, be amazing. Our president's an idiot, whereas their president is an is an intelligent, evil person. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. that's the difference. Yeah, but ours is just an ours is just a nincompoop. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, just a little some weird conspiracy theories to throw out there for you, and some as my usual kind of fodder I have. For the show. Good, I think that 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 sticks in well with our Halloween theme.
before we get into our 666 Sinister Showdown or whatever, I don't even know what we called it at this point. Spooky Spectacular. Spooky Spectacular. Uh, I'm going to get into some what I'll call the reason for the season uh, origin with a little segment I call Sinister Source Material. So many S's. And I'm going to talk about where some of the sort of traditions and imagery that comes along with Halloween that we know and love uh, comes from. Very cool. And I picked a few. And the one is the first one was bats. So bats are sort of associated with evil, both via Dracula uh, and, you know, being harbingers of death. Right. And bloodsuckers and in the air when evil's around and all this kind of craziness. And really what it was is uh, the uh, old Celtic festival, Samhain, Sahim, I don't know, uh, that's sort of the predecessor to Halloween. Big Celtic fall festival. Yeah, they mention it in the Curse of Michael Myers. Yes, they do. Absolutely. The Curse of Thorn. Um, but a lot of these fall festivals inver- involved these big bonfires or burnt offerings. And these, and they could go on for days. So these giant fires would bring in all of these insects. And the insects would, in turn, attract bats. That makes sense. And so it, bats became associated with this, with being drawn to the spirits and being drawn to the... The spooky nature of the holiday. Right. But really, they just wanted, they just wanted a meal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, bobbing for apples, something I have not done in a long time, but is, is synonymous with Halloween. I've with never Halloween. done that. Uh, actually came from when the Romans invaded Britannia uh, and, and their culture sort of merged with the Celts. And uh, the apple, uh, the bobbing for apples is actually from a when they worship Pomona, who was the goddess of fruit or goddess of fruiting trees. Hmm. And the tradition was that uh, in some places it was that all the boys would bob for apples. And the first one to be successful was the next one allowed to marry. Oh, wow. Uh, and, pressure. In, and in women's cases, uh, it was that they would bob for the apple, take the bite and then put the half eaten apple under their pillow. And then they would dream of the man they would marry or their true love. Gross. <laughs> Think of uh, ants. <laughs> but yeah, so that's but that's how that made it into Halloween. Interesting. Uh, and then my favorite one, and this is a story that uh, I'm surprised I hadn't heard before. There's a character in uh, Celtic lore called Stingy Jack. And Stingy Jack was this sort of drunk, no good, borrowed money, skipped out on bills, just sort of a, known as a sleaze, just wandered town to town living off other people. One day, Stingy Jack comes across this guy laying in the street. And Stingy Jack's like, yeah, I'm going to rob this guy. And he goes and turns him over and realizes that the guy is really the devil. Ooh. The devil's there. The devil's there to take him. Stingy Jack says, OK, devil, I'll go with you. But just let let me have one drink. Before we go, Sim and the devil hop into a tavern. They have their drink. And Stingy Jack says, hey, devil, wouldn't it be really sinister if you turned into some coins? And then we paid with you and then you t- stopped being coins and then we skipped out on the bill. And the devil is like, yeah, that does sound awesome. <laughs> what? So, the de- so the devil turns into a silver coin, which Stingy Jack picks up and puts in his front pocket where he has a crucifix. The crucifix disables the the devil's ability to change out of that form. So Stingy Jack has trapped him. So the, mm-hmm. devil, the devil demands his release. Stingy Jack, um, <laughs> Stingy Jack says, okay, but you got to give me 10 years that you can't come for me. And if I die in that time, you can't take my soul. Hmm. The devil agrees, disappears, and Stingy, back, Stingy Jack goes along his way. Ten years to the day the devil shows up and Stingy Jack, it's time to pay your bill. Stingy Jack says, okay, fair is fair. But before we go, I'm, I'm hungry. 
do you think you could climb up in that apple tree and get an apple for me? And the devil's like, all right. The devil's well, dumb. <laughs> you were an up, upright guy last time. Yeah. So, so the devil climbs up in the tree and gets an apple. While he's up there, Stingy Jack carves a bunch of crosses into the base of the tree. Now the devil is trapped in this tree. Mm-hmm. The devil's outraged, demands his freedom. Stingy Jack says, all right, same deal as last time. Ten years, you can't come for me. And if I die in that time, you can't take my soul. So the devil agrees. Stingy Jack lets him down. Devil disappears. Just a few years later, Stingy Jack finally succumbs to his ways and dies with a drink. All happy that he's made this deal, the devil can't take his soul. He wanders up to the gates of heaven. And God, upon seeing him, says, Now nah, you're not welcome here. You skipped out on my judgment two times, and you've had dealings with the devil. You're not getting into heaven. So Stingy Jack, with nowhere else to go, heads down to hell to see his buddy, the devil. And uh, he gets to the gates of hell. And um, devil says, look, I made that deal with you. You died within those 10 years. I can't take your soul. You can't come into hell ever. Uh, so he, the devil gives him a, a ever glowing ember, a hell hellfire ember uh, that he puts in a hollowed out turnip that Jack carries around for all eternity, wandering between the planes of good and evil. Uh, he eventually becomes known as Jack of the Lantern. Hmm. Or Jack O' Lantern, the turnip eventually became a pumpkin, and that is where carving pumpkins and making jack o' lanterns comes from. This is the story of stingy, stingy Jack. And which uh, what culture did this come from? Uh, Celtic. Oh wow, Celtic mythology. That's so weird because recently someone posted a picture of the old turnips, how they looked to look when they carved them like we do pumpkins, and they are mm-hmm. really creepy looking. <laughs> They're really creepy. Yeah, a lot of root vegetables: turnips, potatoes, uh, parsnips. We're all used, but in the in the story I read now, mind you, I read at least three different versions of this story, and each one has varying details one way or the other. Right, it's that kind of folk story. That's great yeah, story. Jack, Jack, Jack o' lanterns. Yeah, I'd never ever heard that before. It's crazy. I. I always wonder where the hell that came from. Well, that is, to get us into the Halloween spirit was sinister source material. I like it. Let's we'll bring that back next year. That's right. I'll bring back some more good stuff. Perfect. Well, I think it takes us to our main segment. 666 Spooky Spectacular. Damn right it does. So which of these gems should we talk about first? Um... So let's talk about the one that surprised me the most. Okay. And that's uh, Freddy's Dead. Okay. <laughs> Friday, Friday the... Th- no, no, no. Uh, nightmare on Elm Street 6. Dear right. God, this is going to get confusing. Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare from the 1991. Uh, and uh, if you're not familiar with Nightmare on Elm Street, I guess short version is uh, like evil guy hurts children. Town parents burn him alive. He comes back and kills their children in their dreams for some reason. And he's been doing this for five movies. And now this is the sixth movie where he's going to do the same thing. And according to them, even though this is, you know, we've had many movies since this would be the final movie. because It's Freddy's final nightmare. Freddy's dead. But there's a lot. There's a couple other movies after this. <laughs> yes. So just be aware it does not end here. So the weird thing is, is it starts in the beginning saying that it takes place 10 years from now. 
And this movie was made in 1991. And I loved, as I was watching these three movies, I was going on the Wikipedia sites, and there's so much lore and people like who are obsessed with these oh, films yeah. and trying to make the continuity all make sense. And so they talk about, well, actually, it's 10 years from when the last movie happened. So it actually takes place in 1999. It's 10 years past 1989. So it's not 2001. It's actually 1999. I'm like, okay, I don't care. (laughs) It's sometime in the future, and it doesn't matter because it's not like they're playing with future technology or anything. Right. It looks like they're wearing clothes from 1991. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. matter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it has a, a young Brecken Meyer in this movie. For those yeah, Meyer fans out there from 10 years ago. You, look him up. You know him from something. You know his face. Exactly. You know him from something. And so the reason this movie surprised me is that in some ways it impressed me because it kind of knew what it was. Yeah. Like it knew that it was six sequel. And even sort of the plot was centered around almost a joke of that. Um, you know, this kid escapes this town where Freddie has been terrorizing them. For like 10 years, supposedly. Right. Uh, and wa- and gets picked up by this social worker and gets taken back. Um, so the joke is that he's killed everyone. All the kids. In that whole All town. the kids are dead. It's been 10 years. The joke is that he's literally just killed every one of them. There's just none left. <laughs> like that's that's five movies worth of teenagers just dying. And then that's it's just all they're all dead. And the children, not just teenagers. Yeah. All the children, all the teenagers, they're all dead. It's terrible. But like, I just thought it was that even that premise was sort of a joke. Kind of. Yeah. It's very self-aware kind of thing. So, yeah, this kid uh, who escaped from the previous films, but they don't make it clear who he was supposed to be because it's a different actor. Yeah, not really. Uh, He loses his memories. He's found in the streets of the city, some city, I guess probably Chicago because it's Illinois, I think. Uh, And yeah, social workers find him. They bring him in. To have them stay. Child protective services or something. There's other kids, other juvenile delinquent kids. And for some reason, who, who plan an escape. Yeah. And the woman who's taking care of him, she has this, these dreams about uh, the same things that he talks about. So she decides to take him back to uh, the town uh, that all this took place in and get his memories back and figure out what's going on. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and then there's like a sleep and dream control therapist that's vaguely explained, but heavily used later. Played by Yafet Koto. Another guy you've probably seen another thing from before. Alien. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, alien. He's a good actor. Um, so she's taking this this John Doe, as he's known, back, finally figuring out where, at least getting a clue as to where the heck he came from. Uh, get to whatever what was the name of the town? I don't even remember. I'm forgetting now too. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. Or something spring. Some really generic town name. Uh, only to find out that the other ruffian kids have stowed away, uh, and then in the big steal van. the. Vi- in the big van, and then they steal the van. Well, she tells them to go take it home. She says, take, "Oh, true." She's like, "Get in the van and drive back, and we'll." Make oh, but sure they you don't do that. So they steal the van. Well, they I don't. Keep, stand, they keep trying. I don't stand corrected. They keep trying to leave, and it keeps taking them back That's to the same right. statue. And then they break into a house. Right. They do. They do do that. <laughs> <laughs> they are ruffians, after all. Damn delinquents. <laughs> ruffians. Uh, so yeah, the kids try to escape the town. They can't. Meanwhile, the woman and John Doe are investigating. They go to this like orphanage or halfway house sort of thing. Yeah, in town. and pe- everyone's kids are missing or gone. And the lady at the orphanage seems to know them, kind of. She's also crazy, so it's hard to right, tell. Right, right. She's also talking to stuffed animals and stuff. <laughs> um, so meanwhile, uh, Freddy terrorizes the ruffian children, um, and then this is where the movie got really weird. 
So I feel like the very little bit I know about the Nightmare on Elm Street films is that they're very gory and graphic and very serious and dark. And this this whole movie felt like a carnival. Well, only the first movie was any in any way dark and serious. For some reason, okay. about four years ago, I went through and watched all of them. I don't know why. I think oh, that's right. I went to audition for this short film that was going to be set in the Freddy universe, and uh, I didn't get the part. But I was like, oh, I won't watch those movies. So I watched all of them, and yeah, pretty much only the first one has any modicum of seriousness. The rest of them are very carnival esque uh, and very bloody, but not very serious. Yeah, Except but the I, reboot, you know, the reboot is very dark and gritty, but. You know, just the the whole like putting a giant thing in the kid's ear and then dropping a pin and making his head explode. It was so it was just, silly. <laughs> it was just scratching insane. the chalkboard. <laughs> yeah, this the chalkboard at the end. It just felt like a carnival ride that I didn't want to be on. So apparently, Robert England, who plays Freddy Krueger, said that the, his favorite kill in, in all of the entire franchise was Carlos's death, where he scratches the chalkboard until his head explodes. <laughs> That was his favorite death in all the movies. Um, so yeah, Carlos dies. He's the guy who has a hearing aid for those of you not watching yeah. at home. So I'm not even sure what happens next. A lot of people die. I mean, oh, so I forgot. Also, they're they before when they first get in the town, they go to this creepy carnival. Where there's no children at the carnival, which creeps them out. And it's all adults. And Roseanne bars there. Roseanne and Tom Arnold come over to try to take them. <laughs> like, get away from me. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Uh. Yeah, it gets it gets really strange, and there's a lot of plot holes as typically in these cheap movies because like uh, they find out that Freddy has a kid from this uh, high school teacher who has no students who's talking to himself. Um, but before that, they never yeah. mention the name Freddy. The John Doe guy does not even know who he is or where he's from or who Freddy is. But something's like Freddy's got a kid, and the teacher lady, the counselor, seems to know what that means too, even though they have not explained any of that. Before. Oh, yeah, that teacher was strange. She was a weird actress for the whole movie. And so so the kids get terrorized. They end up co- trying to escape the town. John Doe ends up getting killed by being launched in the air and then a bed of landing on a giant bed of nails. Because he thinks that he's Freddy's kid, but he's actually not. So Freddy's like, no, I just use you to get my daughter. <laughs> yeah, and so it ends up that it's actually the, the social worker woman is actually Freddy's kid who escaped much longer ago than we thought. The blank stare social worker woman. Uh, so right before they're about to leave town, Freddy somehow infests her. Yeah, I guess we can leave the town. He goes inside of her body, kind of. But it's not like a power I've seen him establish before. So it's just, it was strange. I think he kind of mentions quickly that since she's his blood, he can kind of use her body to leave the town. Because before, I think the idea is that he can't leave that town. He can only kill people in that town. So now that she's there, he he lured her there by dropping off John Doe outside of town and getting captured. So now he can take, go into her body to leave there and go wherever he wants. I guess that's kind of, he's like, so I they want end up dra- dragging him back to the big city. Right. Where the, the blonde delinquent reveals that Freddie followed them basically. And they end up with the dream teacher person to, to bring Freddie into the real world. I don't know. Oh, it, before, it doesn't oh yes. And also Breckenmeyer's dead by this point. He got real high and got sucked into a TV and killed. Oh, yes, he did. That was a weird death. <laughs> and Johnny Depp got, had a cameo. Yeah, I did. I actually did enjoy that cameo. <laughs> this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. All right, once again, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Questions? 
was that famous campaigning at the time. So I thought that was sort of a great way to sort of date the movie perfectly. That's true. So Freddy is now out and about. Um, They pull him into the real world so they can kill him for good. Right. And so let's let's pause for a moment because in this very short time, there's all this sudden lore introduced about like why Freddy is Freddy. Powered by these demons or something. Yeah, on his death, he made a deal with these three snake weird face demon things. (laughs) And they are what bring him back over and over again. It's just a weird. I feel like all of these movies, not all of them, but at least these two of them got into some weird lore that like, I'm not sure why they felt the need to invent. I never needed it before. Right. Both this one and the curse of Michael Myers in particular yeah. both got into the background of why these things are keep coming back to life and who, what, what made it happen. Right. Which I actually wrote that I like that. I like that the origin stories were kind of neat to me, but. The rest of the movies were terrible. And in some ways, <laughs> and I think the same argument can be made for Friday, Friday the 13th, but we'll get to that. True. Um, so, God, this movie is so bad. So they pull Freddy into the real world. Uh, she somehow becomes an expert knife thrower. Yeah, the counselor chick. Like, I, it it was so unbelievable. Like, that was one of the hardest parts for me to believe, that, like, she would literally be able to throw dagger after dagger, just nail all of them. And throwing stars. And they were all, like, keeping... Throwing stars and nails and stuff, like... And they weren't hitting his body. They were attaching his shirt to the, to the like, a cartoon to the wall. It was... And it was supposed to be not in a dream anymore, so why is she able to do this? Doesn't make any sense. If it was the yeah. other girl who has martial arts training, maybe, but... Right. It didn't make um, any sense. So she kisses him, says some really terrible line, and then he's impaled. And Freddy is banished forever, but not really because there's more movies. Right. <laughs> Somehow. And, right. Well, in the next movie, it's where he's in the real world again, but the movie's real. So right. he becomes like a tulpa where basically people think he's real because they've seen the movie so many times. And so he comes into the real, real world because right. he comes to life because we made him with our thoughts. And that's better, it's, I feel. That's, it was a good movie, actually. It was, like Wes Craven was more involved and stuff, and it was really cool. Right. This one was real bad, though. Real bad. (laughs) This one was real bad. This was a terrible idea. (laughs) Uh, So what movie do you want to talk about next? Well, real quick. So I have some uh, trivia for all these movies. uh, One thing we do for each movie, though, is the Rotten Tomatoes score. So this movie, out of all three that we're going to talk about, got the highest rating on Rotten Tomatoes of 20%. So that's crazy. Uh, I thought that Friday the 13th had a higher rating. Nope. Friday the 13th had... Oh, you were right. You were right. Uh, but we'll say what that got later. So this movie got second place at uh, 20% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it had a death count, the lowest of all the movies, of three. Only three. I actually also thought about that. I was like, this felt like way too few deaths. Yeah, for a horror film. And uh, there was no nudity, I don't think. Yeah. Or if, if so, not enough to make us remember. I mean, come on. That's what we need in... Uh, and that's what counts. <laughs> so uh, Peter Jackson's original screenplay for Freddy's, Freddy's Dead saw Freddy aging and growing weak within the dream world. The teens of Springwood. That's what it was called. Springwood. Uh, yeah. They would have dr- drug fueled slumber parties for kicks and enter the dream world to beat him up. That would have been interesting. Uh, Alice Cooper, who has an uncredited role as Freddy's father towards the end there, uh, uh-huh. previously co-wrote and performed the theme song for Jason Lives Friday the 13th Part 6. 
Both. Oh, he did a bunch of songs. They yeah. featured like four or five of his songs in Jason. But it's Lee. funny that two of the films we're talking about, Alice Cooper is involved. Perfect. Uh, the only film in the franchise in which Freddy doesn't kill anyone using his glove, although he gets killed okay. with the glove himself, which is strange. Uh, oh, uh, Alice Cooper also hosted The Muppet Show. Love the connection. <laughs> there, you there we go. go. I don't think Alice Cooper was in any Star Trek, but I could be wrong. Uh, you never know. Uh, excluding flashbacks, it's the only nightmare movie in which no female characters die. All the victims are male. Uh, okay, so I think it's it for the final nightmare. So I want to move on to Jason Lives. Why not? So this is Friday the 13th, part six, Jason Lives. Um, I am not as familiar with these series of films as I am with no. Nightmare on Elm Street movies. They oh, no, all... There's a camp and a guy with a machete right. and a mask. I, the first movie I've seen maybe a couple of times, and you basically think that Jason's killing them the whole time, but it's actually the mother. And yeah, his Jay- mother. Jason only shows up at the end as like a little mangled like boy in the lake. Right. Uh, but then after that, it's always Jason killing everyone. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so <laughs> this one starts with a guy from the previous film, supposedly. Played by a different actor. <laughs> obsessed with Jason Voorhees and has to finally desecrate his body or something. And he's a, make himself feel better. Been in a sanitarium all this time. Uh, they think he's crazy. And he escapes with one of his buddies from the, the crazy house to go destroy his corpse, like you said. Uh, but and they then, dig it up. <laughs> yeah, so crazy. And he takes this giant metal crucifix thing and stabs it into the body. And leaves Jason it there. Voorhees and leaves it there. And then as he's walking away, that thing gets struck by two bolts of lightning. Which brings the corpse of Jason Voorhees back into existence somehow. <laughs> and he gets his mask, which the guy conveniently had for some unexplained reason, <laughs> uh, and kills the guy's friend. Right. And while he, the guy flees and goes to the sheriff's office, I think, to try to steal weapons or something to kill Jason. Well, first to tell them and then also get their help. Right, right. But uh, they won't help him. So he just grabs a gun off the wall. Like, that's going to Yeah, there we work. go. <laughs> yeah, because that's how that goes. <laughs> Definitely will get you help that way. Uh, but um, he looks too old to be like a kid. They keep saying, come on, little kid. And they put him in the it's like he's like 35 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not this 19 year old. They keep saying, I know. And the sheriff's daughter comes in with her friends right into the police station and talks to the, the guy in the jail cell. It's like, he's kind of cute. And it's like, he's the same age as your dad. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, they're getting ready for summer after they're, this town is trying to shake the stigma that Camp Crystal Lake brought to it. And these really haphazard camp counselors who don't seem prepared in any way right, to run any sort of responsible camp. Well, they show that the two older counselors get killed before they can arrive at the camp. Oh, that's right. They get killed in their car um, and has that known and actor, the guy, Tony the, Goldwyn. The guy, yeah, the guy, he's the one person whose career escaped this film. And yet he has a tiny role where he gets killed immediately. And this is this is his first feature film too. Yeah, Tony Goldwyn. There's Look him up. Stuff. You know him from something. What happens a lot of these um, movies? There's like random, like Paul Rudd in the other movie, and like <laughs> oh, that was crazy. And that, that was one of his first feature. It's films. that introducing Paul Rudd. Yeah, that's crazy. But we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, we will. So, meanwhile, then somewhere else in the woods, and now this was like the dumbest subplot ever. Oh, terrible! Just totally uh, comedic and over the top. This corporate retreat with corporate bigwigs playing paintball and learning to to hone their animal side and hunt and uh and you know these two sort of generic white guys being sexist to the woman who shot both of them 
and then a nerdy guy in glasses. And this whole thing is just a big elaborate lead up to to Jason getting a machete. Right. Like this whole subplot <laughs> is was just a dumb. They're like, how are we going to get Jason machete? And they're like, I don't know. There'll be some guy in the woods with a machete. Why would there be a guy in the woods with a machete? It doesn't matter. We'll just write something in. Uh, they're okay. in a corporate retreat. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, I the think it's also the paintball or something. Since there's so know. many kids in the in the camp, he can't have them killing the kids. So they wanted more adults for him to kill. I guess that's yeah. So they had to throw that excuse. in. So there's a but at the end, he gets his machete. That's the one thing you need to know about <laughs> what happened. But I thought it was so campy and silly from the very beginning, especially that whole graveyard scene where he comes to life um, with the. You know, the music, the camera angles, and yeah, the, just the like, close up on the eye. Like, argh. yeah, like this movie really felt purposefully campy and silly. That's why I, I kind of enjoyed it a little bit more, even because it's like, oh, it knows exactly what it is and it's totally OK with it. I don't know if you felt the same way, but yeah, yeah, it wasn't trying. Too uh, hard. So then so then it proceeds in the way you'd expect in that he just slowly picks them off one at a time. Kid having sex in a camper with a townie. Oh, they're both dead and no nudity in that scene either. It's crazy. Yeah, no nudity. <laughs> Um, so I think this yeah, movie also started the the trope of bad horror movies having an old coot who's drunk all the time. Oh, I love the old coot. He was one of my favorite parts. <laughs> so the meanwhile, back to subplot about crazy guy locked in jail cell. Um, <laughs> oh wait, the old coot so they, though had my favorite lines. He says uh, almost to the camera, he's like, "Why do they have to go dig up Jason? Some people have a strange idea of entertainment." And like looking at the camera, almost <laughs> wink. Like, why are you bringing him back again in this movie? I thought that was amazing. So back in the jail cell. <laughs> yeah. Back in the jail cell. Um, so he, he, he's trying to convince them uh, so that he's not crazy. They basically agree to take him out to the edge of town and that he's not their problem anymore. On the way out, he, he revs his engine and cuts down a road and leads them to the cemetery where he leads them to Jason's grave mm-hmm. only to find that the old drunk coot has, <laughs> has buried in the grave. Yep. And then won't fess up to it. I didn't do nothing. You're crazy. Yeah. So they take him back to jail or they go and throw him out of town again. Uh, I remember. Yeah, they throw him out of town. But this time they make sure that the other guy's driving his truck and they keep him in the back of the. Oh, that's uh, right. They take him like way out. Right. All right. Back at the camp, more kids die. Uh, they do show that Jason kind of has some sort of conscious in that he has an opportunity to kill like a real child. Right. Like not a teenager, but like a child. And he doesn't do it. Doesn't seem to want to kill the kids. Yeah. Old kid, kid. Yeah. He has some sort of moral compass. Right. But he kills everyone else. Just everyone. <laughs> everybody chops their heads off. And like off. people that haven't done anything wrong even. Like a lot of times in movies, they kind of justify deaths by making characters do terrible things. Be immoral or, you know, have Be immoral. Sex. But like one of the, yeah, like that was not even the case at all. Nope. For a few. The one girl who tells the little girl how to, you know, make the scary things go away by praying. Like she didn't do right. anything bad at all. She just met no. murdered. No, she pushed religion, and for that she had to die <laughs> on a small child trying to brainwash her. Meanwhile, crazy guy comes back. Sheriff comes, finally realizes that Jason is alive. Well, the, the part that the she he calls the sheriff's daughter to like help him, and she gets her car and, and drives him and tries to run away from the right. police with him in the car. And this comes to the stupidest, weirdest, out of place scene where he, he she pushes him down so he's hidden into her crotch and. This is the worst line in the whole movie is because they do close ups of her crotch as he's staring at it. That's he, right. And she's going really fast. She's about to go around and turn. And she goes and I forgot. She says uh, he, he hits her crotch with his head. She goes, that's what I want. But she's looking at the sign and he thinks she's talking about her 
him hitting her crotch. And she goes, <laughs> she goes, hold on. This is going to be a hairy turn. And he looks at her crotch again. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, that's so stupid. Uh, uh, okay, yeah. But anyway, so, yeah, they, they convince the, the police that uh, he's actually alive. Um, they go to the camp and mayhem is happening. Good. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's all terrible. That's just terrible. They see that the, um, the camp, uh, one of the rooms of the camp has been covered in blood. Uh, he checks in the kids. The kids are okay. Kids are okay. Gets them all together. The cops go off and separate by themselves, which is stupid, and they get killed yeah. one by one. Uh, yeah. And then he lures Jason down to the water. Because you have to return Jason to where he, he died originally when he drowned in the lake. It doesn't make sense, but sure. <laughs> so he gets like a big rock with a chain on it and puts it on a boat. <laughs> These are all and, conveniently and, available. And then Jason comes out and then he lights the water on fire, which serves no almost no purpose. Like he wanted to see better in the water. I guess. Also, where did uh, Jason a, get this tool belt of Batman gadgets? Yeah. He had like knives and weird things all over this tool belt. I'm like, <laughs> where'd that come yeah, from? Yeah, hunting knives. And he just picked stuff up. He's a collector. He's <laughs> a collector. Um, so Jason jumps out of the water. There's a struggle. He manages to get this chain around Jason's neck mm-hmm. and pushes Jason into the water. Jason grabs him, pulls him below, strangles him underwater. Yeah. Meanwhile, the sheriff's daughter swims out, uh, no, starts up the boat me. motor and then just jams it into Jason's face and throat. Killing him in quotations. Killing him, and he sinks with the chain around his neck. Uh, and then she drags the guy to the shore. He becomes alive again. Well, I love how the children all cheer when she saves him with CPR, but all the rest of their counselors are dead. <laughs> like they don't even know everyone. Who this- they saw a lot of death. They don't even they know who this guy of is. Stuff. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, the children cheer, and then it's kind of left of, oh, but he's Jason's still alive down there, chained below the water. His eye opens up. His eye opens up. So he's still alive. And that way there's sort of that mythos in that. I think it's sort of like, how could this one guy keep coming back for six films in a row? Mm-hmm. And this is their way of going like, well, he can come back for as many more as we want because he's made of magic now. Yeah. <laughs> Lightning and magic. Lightning and magic. So like now it's just their way of going. Nope. We can do as many as we please. Get over it. Yep. We're not going to explain it anymore. And then we have um, a terrible Alice Cooper song for the credits for Man Behind the Mask. Uh, <laughs> so that, this movie was a little bit more palatable. Because it was just silly. And and it was very much ro- like it was what I expected. There was nothing that I didn't expect. It's your typical horror movie, like, like cheesy, yes. campy horror movie. Yes. Slasher flick. Um, And then that, I guess, takes us to Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. Well, real quick, so we got to do our rundown. Oh, God. Uh, 56% on Rotten Tomatoes. 56%. Cause I think yeah, yeah, yeah. critics thought, oh, it knows what it is and it's approaching it, so they like that. So it didn't do too bad. Uh, the death count for this one, 18. So it's a lot wow. more Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, anything else? Oh, the original actor they had playing Jason was fired for being too fat. And they recast the part with C.J. Graham, a restaurant manager with no stunt experience, but a military background as an army soldier that made him perfect to take orders and execute stunts with military precision. But he's still in the the paintball sequences is the original guy they fired. Um, he's much bulkier and bigger. Yeah, you can see he's just bigger. Yeah, he's he was only really fat. He was just big. big no, dude. just big. Uh, it's the shortest Friday the 13th movie at 86 minutes. It takes place for some reason also in the future in 1990. 
<laughs> even though it's, it was made in uh, 86, I believe. Uh, but for some reason, they wanted to set it in 1990 for time reasons. Uh, let's see. Uh, first series in which all teenage roles are played by young adults and none of the actors were actually teenagers. Yep. Uh, and it's the only time in the series uh, where there are actually children at the camp. Somehow the rest of the movies, they are at a camp with no ch- kids there. Well, yeah, it's like outside of flashbacks or dreams. Right. It's, just, it's the only time that children are actually in the, at the actual physical. Which does kind of raise the stakes a bit. It makes it a little more interesting. But uh, but even that they address by making Jason like a children's saint. Yeah, he's like, I won't kill them. That's fine. Yeah. I did love that kid throughout. who was like really sarcastic. He's like, what do you think is oh, going to yeah. happen? He said, I think we're dead meat. And he's like, so what were you going to be when you grew up? <laughs> that was a great line. <laughs> Those kids were hiding great. Under, they're hiding under the beds. Yeah. yeah, that was great. So what were you going to be when you grew up? <laughs> that was a great line. Um, so, yeah, not a bad flick all around. Just, you know, your typical campy horror movie. Speaking of bad flicks, let's talk about Halloween <laughs> 6, The Curse of Michael Myers. <laughs> this thing was a wreck. A turd. Just a wreck. <laughs> The things we do for this podcast. Well, no, I said the, with both of these, we've we've said like the, they the, they knew what it was, right? They they knew it was a sequel. I feel like this movie missed that mark entirely. This had one, no idea what it was supposed to be. And uh, uh, reading the information on behind the scenes stuff, apparently this thing was butchered all to hell and had a great script that apparently was what attracted Donald Pleasance to come back, plays uh, Doctor Loomis, and then uh-huh. they took that script that was great and kind of darker and serious. And then, like, five different people chopped it up, and the studios messed with it. And, like, it just became a huge mess. Um, right. And so the actors were all pissed. Uh, nobody liked the end result. Donald Pleasance died uh, before they could do all the reshoots they wanted to do. So it was just a mess. <laughs> yeah. So, but the cool thing is, introducing Paul Rudd. This came out and was filmed right before he did Clueless, which was his big breakout role. You probably want to forget about this role, but um, yes, this is the one he doesn't want people remembering as his first. It's a very serious Paul Rudd, but he looks exactly the same as he does now. He doesn't age. So uh, apparently the last movie ended with the body of Mike Myers and this woman being abducted. Right. From a police station. That's something you needed to know going into this film. Some weird people in black uh, stole Michael Myers and were doing something with him. Uh, Yeah. And then this other woman. And then it cuts to a few years later or something like that, I guess. And the woman that's kidnapped is supposed to be Jamie Lee Curtis's character's daughter. Right. So that's something you had to know, too. <laughs> Who was played by a different actress in the in a different film. Right. So it's very okay. confusing. So it's Jamie Lee Curtis's <laughs> daughter. And then suddenly it's revealed that she's had a baby. She's being, being been held by these cultists. And this nursemaid helps her to escape. And do you know if you watched the producer's cut or the theatrical cut? I did cut? not watch the producer's cut. Well, I, I did. <laughs> so this will be interesting. Oh, God. We're going to be so confused um, already. <laughs> um, he So suddenly Mike Myers is there. He kills the nurse by putting her up on a, a conveniently placed nail sticking out of a wall. Uh, and chases down this woman who is in theory now kind of they sort of revealed that, that it's Mike Myers' baby. Right. I didn't know if they had that in theatrical cut, but yeah. So basically they impregnate um, his own. Uh, niece with his child, but his curse is that he's supposed to kill his whole blood family. Yeah, make a, a blood sacrifice of his lineage. Right. Every Halloween for some reason. Yeah, to appease the the thorn, the the curse of thorn, which we'll get into. Right. 
Uh, this is a weird movie, guys. <laughs> so she drives with the get steals a truck. Uh, takes the baby, drives into town, ends up in a bus station or bus terminal. Only person that she can talk to is a radio DJ who she calls conveniently Paul Rudd's character who is somehow connected to Michael Myers from before. He was uh, being babysat by Jamie Lee Curtis's character in the first movie. As well as conveniently the doctor from all the other films who has run into one of his colleagues who ran the sanitarium where Mike Myers was housed. They're all listening to this, this broadcast at the same time. It's just very, all, everything is very convenient simultaneously mm-hmm. in this film. So later that night, the mother runs the uh, truck into a barn trying to kill Michael, and then he ends up impaling her on some sort of farm equipment. Well, in my version, this is interesting. Oh, God. He stabs her, and then she's taken to a hospital and is still alive for, like, most of the movie. What? And she's killed later by the doctor, Dr. Flynn, the man in black. He shoots her in the hospital and says, your your work is done, and he shoots her in the head. Wow. And, okay, and it yeah, makes so no the, difference in the movie, but that's very <laughs> different movies that we watched. <laughs> This'll be so interesting. She's impaled, she's impaled on a thresher, <laughs> and then he goes, Oh, baby's not there. She hid the baby somewhere. Right. That's what happened to so my that, So that's the next day, and they cut to like this house that's the house from the other movies that some family members have moved into. Right. And one is is a woman and her son who have come home an abusive father, a loving mother, and kind of a stoner do-gooder brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you get to meet these characters that we're supposed to care about, I guess. <laughs> Who will shortly die. But really, the whole thing was leading up to just showing that the kid's not quite right. Yeah, he keeps having Little some kid, boys talk to him over and over again. And, and he pulls a knife on his grandpa when his grandpa gets abusive. It, yeah, it's strange. But that was the whole point of the scene, was to show the kid's not right. <laughs> so, meanwhile... Paul Rudd goes looking for the bus terminal because he somehow figured out that's where she called from and then goes in the bathroom where he finds a clue. But then he also finds a baby. (coughs) And so this the baby led to my my biggest suspension of disbelief in the entire film because apart from making sound when it's found and sound later on when it was like needed, that baby required no maintenance. Did not cry, did not need to be fed. Or sleep. The whole movie. <laughs> the whole movie. If you watch that baby, like they didn't do anything to even pretend that that was a real baby. <laughs> they never show it again. Well, they show it well, very yeah, they, infrequently. Right, right. They show the, the one baby, but otherwise it's just a bundle of blankets that they're carrying around. Yeah. So they, he finds this baby and then, I don't know, goes to the hospital, runs into the doctor. This whole plot gets really confusing and convoluted. And that's the thing. In the first two-thirds of the movie, I'm like, I'm kind of with it. All right, this is interesting. There's a mythos, a, a backstory. There's lots of characters that have interesting stories behind them. It's more There's more depth here than there was in the other two films. But then it just goes off the rails. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And like, why do we care about this? And I don't believe this character. And it just, uh, yeah. So meanwhile, Mike, Michael is now looking for his son, goes to the house, kills the mom, which was such a bummer. Yeah, she seemed so sweet. For and her nice. to be the first, the first one to go was such a bummer. Yeah, uh, ends up sticking around, kills the dad. Dad gets it good. He deserves the, the it. dad. They they really built it up so that you really would not care about the terrible thing that happened to him. Mm-hmm. And then he also kills the brother and his girlfriend. The whole movie is really strange. I don't even remember everything. It was so weird. And then yeah, that that's when Paul Rudd eventually tells the. 
female protagonist, uh, what's her name again? Jamie? Yeah. Tells Jamie Why and not? her son, Danny, the one who's kind of disturbed, to stay at his house across the street from the Myers house so they're safe because he thinks Michael Myers wants to uh, attack anyone who's in his house. Sacrifice the baby. Right. As well as people who is his lineage, anyone who's in that house, it's his home. He's going to kill anyone who's in there, too. And so she can't get her brother and his girlfriend out of there in time. So they he kills both of them. Um, but she randomly Danny goes over to that house. So she has to chase after her son, Danny, who goes to the Myers house across the street. And she barely escapes uh, by knocking him down the stairs with a fire poker and that kind of thing. And she goes. I thought that was I thought that was a really clever, almost comical moment. Which one? When she's she's running down the stairs and he's going after her and, and then. And then you watch him, and then she just like jumps out from hiding around a corner, and knocks him down the stairs. True, she tricks him. That's true. But I, but I just thought it was very funny that like it would be that easy in some of these cases because they, they move so slow, like especially Jason and um. Plus, you Michael know, he's Myers. got no peripheral vision in that mask. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, she just didn't do anything complicated. Literally, just hid behind a corner and went ha. Ah! <laughs> I thought it was real good. That's true. Um. But she gets her son out of there, goes back to the house, and then uh, the Dr. Loomis is there with Paul Rudd, and I don't remember what happens after that. So somehow it's revealed that the old guy from the beginning is actually an evil doctor. Right. He's in the house with them at that point. He's like an evil doctor. He's been behind this cult that's protecting Michael. and Because he wants to study the power of the Curse of Thorn and understand right. it. Right. And he somehow Danny's involved with that. Like, he wants to give Danny his part of the sacrifice. So... She they're going after her because she's part of the sacrifice. So she jumps out of a window <laughs> like from the second Without, story with like not even jumps out of a window. Like, you know, in movies, when someone's about to jump something high, there's that scene where they've got to decide what they're going to do. Like in The Fugitive, <laughs> where he's like looking at the and he really has to think I about jumping my or like. Right, right. This that was not this. She literally a guy came up and she literally just turned and jumped out of through the way, like, herself just with threw as much her force body through this as window. possible. No regard for how she was going to land or survive. Zero thought. <laughs> it was, I laughed out loud. I was like, "What the fuck?" Because suddenly she's like, ah! "Oh man!" By the way, all three of these movies have not one or multiple people jumping or being pulled through windows as an ongoing theme in all these. That movies. is true. I wrote that down. So, yeah, they, her body disappears. So they, they pick her up. She's still alive. And they leave Dr. Loomis and Paul Rudd there to just chill, I guess. And they said. They, so they take the kids and they run. Right. Basically. And we cut back to Paul, Dr. Loomis, <laughs> this actor on his last legs, literally uh, walking around these sets. You know, I felt so bad for him with Paul Rudd. Yeah. Uh, tracking them down to this cult ceremony where they have Michael Myers standing on the one side of the uh, uh, dais. I don't know what you call it. Um uh, the uh, sacrificial podium and the, the doctor's talking and then the ladies chained down uh, Jamie and her son Danny's over to the other side and they're like now we're going to sacrifice this innocent blood for some reason to Michael Myers. Uh, for undisclosed reasons. <laughs> yes. uh, and she suddenly Jamie's like but Michael it's your son I know it's your son it's your baby and that slows them down enough to where Paul Rudd can get a costume and somehow overpower this really tall, bigger man <laughs> with a knife. So, so this is the section that we're into now, I think, is, the is crazy. really the part of the German. Yeah. Where it's just insane. <laughs> it's just insanity with so much nonsense that it's crazy. So Paul Rudd ends up breaking out, breaking her out, 
They right. watch Michael murder a whole room of like scientists and surgeons. We're not really sure what they're doing there. I wasn't in my cut. <laughs> oh yeah. So then this is so this part, the ending is that is the part that got really recut bad. So I think you and I are gonna have basically seen different films. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. So Michael, so Paul Rudd frees her. Right. They go and try to get the baby back. Meanwhile, Michael Myers murders basically everybody. Oh, I didn't see that at all. In in all these surgeons and scientists, they break in, grab the baby, run for Mike Miles. Meanwhile, the doctor wakes up. I can't remember. He was unconscious somewhere for some reason. Right. The, he was going to kill uh, Dr. Wynn in his office, the men in right. black, but then someone behind him knocks him out. Right. So he wakes up, helps them escape. And they escape Mike Myers. But did Paul Rudd do his little uh, rune trick to Mike Myers in your movie? Rune trick. He takes all these runes out of his pocket, like they're like um, D&D dice, and puts them in a little circle and cuts his hand and blood puts it, rubs his blood in the floor. And then Michael no. Myers <laughs> didn't happen at all. And then Michael- in, my, in mine, they try to escape. They aren't able to at the last minute. They lead Michael into like a lab where they then stab him in the back with all these needles of some sort of chemical that were undisclosed. <laughs> that didn't happen at all in my movie. And then Paul Rudd. So this is like the rudimentary. Yours sounds really complex and awesome. That, so they stab him with poison and Paul Rudd grabs a length of pipe. And literally there's a two minute scene of Paul Rudd just beating Mike Myers to death with a piece of pipe. That didn't happen at all. <laughs> that's that's literally how ours ends. So mine. She escapes with Danny and the baby and Paul Rudd stays and beats the living shit out of Mike Myers. And you don't see how he gets out. No, so then later on, Dr. Loomis is with them and says, go ahead. I've got final business to go to. And Dr. B- Loomis goes back in to find Michael's body and he finds the mask on the floor and Michael is gone. Okay, so what happened to mine? This is where it all deviated. All right. Is Holy crap. A Paul Rudd takes the uh, Jamie and Danny and the baby and they're, okay. they're trying to get out, but the gates close. So Dr. Loomis wakes up. He opens the gate and uh-huh. he is going to take them out. But Paul Rudd says, no, I'm going to stay. And he's like, okay. And so he takes her up the elevator and Paul Rudd sees Michael Myers coming towards him. He puts these D&D dice in a circle on the ground, (laughs) cuts his hand and rubs his blood in the floor. And as Michael Myers approaches about to attack him, he freezes in place when he he reaches these uh, the dice and like the the blood. And he's like, Uh it worked. He's like the different runes canceled out his rune. It makes so much sense. And then then he just leaves, (laughs) leaves Michael Myers there, doesn't kill him. Um so then Dr. Wynn comes up, the man in black, to to this frozen in place uh, Michael Myers and says, naturally, what did they do to you, Michael? What did they do to you? Um, and so Dr. Loomis, that's the cutaway from that. Dr. Loomis goes back down after saying he has to stay and they drive off like that happened in your movie, too. He's like, I have yeah. business here. He goes back down to see Michael Myers laying on the ground with these uh, the runes around him. And he says, oh, Michael, it's over now, Michael. It's all over. And he takes off his mask. And it's actually Dr. Wynn who's dying. And he says, you, he got away. It's, now it's your turn. And this made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> Suddenly, a rune appears on Dr. Loomis's wrist, the rune of the thorn. And he goes, oh, oh, ah! <laughs> like that. <laughs> Makes yells out. Wow. And then you see Michael Myers wow. walking away in Dr. Wynn's man in black outfit, even with the hat and no mask. But you can't see his face because it's in shadow. He turns a little bit and then walks out the building in Dr. Wynn's clothes. That is so bad. <laughs> we both. How come we both saw different versions and they were both the bad version? Yeah, like those r- dramatic reshoots made no difference whatsoever. It's still terrible. Oh my gosh, that's so bad. 
That's so funny. It's so different, though. I'm kind of glad we both encountered different mines. Is so so they poison him and then beat him with pipe. Wow, and they don't even the say if he's felt... alive or not at the end. There's no like him opening his eyes or something. I mean, the the implication is that he's alive mm. and that he's somewhere without his mask. Oh, right, because he goes back and it's just the mask. I forgot. Right, that's totally different. Um, and what? So let's. So what was your recap for this one? What's the Rotten Tomatoes score? Well, the Rotten Tomatoes is six percent. Six percent. The lowest of all of these. Oh God! But had the highest death toll at twenty. So two more wow. than Jason okay. lives. So yeah, there's not much more we need to say about that. Those are notes I had about. But this, as far as trivia, um, the cast and crew disowned this movie. Um, they stated the studio producers and director interfered and argued to the point of ridiculousness, which results in a very poorly directed and edited film. Uh, the original title of the movie was Halloween 666, coincidentally, like our segment here, uh-huh. the origin of Michael Myers. Um, let's see. Initial intent was for Halloween 6 to bridge the later films, 4 through 5, into the series to the earlier films, 1 through 2, while at the same time taking the story into new territories so that the series could expand for future installments, but it failed miserably. But it had the largest opening weekend out of the entire series. Wow. So it was the worst. It's impressive. But it had the most money <laughs> at the, up until that That means point. they had a good ad campaign. Yeah. Like, that means they, they built it up right. So one question if, I if had, you had. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, go for it. I was going to say for all these movies, did any of them scare you at all? Were any of them actually scary in the slightest? Um, No. Yeah. Like, like not, I'm trying to think if even they had good a good scare. There wasn't even many jump scares. You know, for me, I think the one that I was the most impressed with was unfortunately Freddy's dead. They did a lot of really good practical camera tricks and effects and stuff that you don't see anymore. True. But it's still extremely effective. Expanding arms and all this kind of weird. The spanning arms. Um, special my, effects. The, the shot I loved, and I actually paused and rewatched. I can't believe I rewatched part of this film. Uh, was when it was her her stepfather who was gonna touch her. Oh yeah, and he put it, and suddenly his arm was Freddy's arm, and then they can't pa- they pan the camera around, catch the arm, and then the actor stepped out of place, and Freddy stepped in as they pan the camera, very seamlessly. It, seamlessly, yeah, not not very seamlessly, seamlessly. It was very so. There were a lot of those kind of tricks that made the movie the most impressive in that respect. I could see that. Yeah, and like but uh, it wasn't a good movie. And I have to say, full disclosure, that I went as Michael Myers for like four or five Halloweens in a row. You definitely did. So I love the the films. It's just I I can recognize that that is probably one of the weakest ones of the entire series. It's pretty rough, just because it's so right. It got so jumbled. So so if you if you had to rank these three movies, right, the three sixes that we watched, which how would you rank them top? Best to worst. Um, I would say I think Jason Lives is the most palatable and most expected. You can easily watch that. It's it's. I I agree. That's my. So one. we both got one locked in. Uh, two. Yeah, the Freddy, and then three, Michael. That's it. That's my exact order. Yep. My exact order for this. And it kills me because I love Michael Myers and those series and that music. This one is the best. Was so it was this one. It wasn't Michael's fault. Jeremy. It was not Michael's fault. You're right. It was not Michael's fault. <laughs> Ah, oh, but I'm glad we agree then. That was a good experiment. Yeah. So thanks for enjoying our spooky 666 spooky spectacular. Yes, we hope you enjoyed. And we're spooked out in a spooktacular fashion.
to continue our spooky Halloween theme, I have got a game for Jarman to play that I called Sweet Toothed Slogans. <laughs> Say that three times fast. Sweet Toothed Slogans. <laughs> nope, just once. <laughs> um, I am going to give Jarman the slogan of a candy, and Jarman has to tell me what candy hmm. that slogan belongs to. I should be able to do this pretty well, hopefully. All right. I started with an easy one, one that I hope that you should know. Are you ready? Ready. Taste the rainbow. Skittles. That's right. Two for me, none for you. That is Twix. That's correct. Isn't life juicy? Mm. Is that Starburst? That is Starburst. Woo-hoo. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Almond Joy has nuts. Mounds don't. <laughs> That's right. And that was, was worth two points. And you got both. Yeah. Good job. I don't eat either of those. Makes mouths happy. Oh, I need this one. Twizzlers? That is correct. Wow. Shows how much this marketing is just ingrained into you, your brain. Okay, you are running a perfect game right now. I know. Now. <laughs> now, this is not, not to put any pressure on you, but you are running a perfect game. It's ad campaigns, man. Subliminal. You are re- you are regging right now. <laughs> right. Oh, thank you very much. Taste the explosion. Mm. Warheads. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Pop rocks. Pop rocks. Okay. Warheads was a very very good guess though for that slogan. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. it could definitely have been. I haven't seen them in years. That's rich. Oh, uh, hundred grand. Hundred grand. Yeah, those are good. <laughs> All right, this is the final one. You've had a very good game. It's more than a mouthful. It's blank. Oh, shoot. It's more than a mouthful. It's... Uh, I, I don't know at all. Nothing's coming it's to mind. More, Baby Ruth. It's more than a mouthful. It's whatchamacallit. Ah, oh, crap. Never even heard of that one before. Obviously, that uh, whatchamacallit's not very good. Which of my calls were my favorite growing up? I know of the candy, but I never heard that slogan. That's crazy. So I had uh, eight questions with nine possible points because that one was worth two. Uh, and you ended up getting seven. Woohoo! You only missed Taste the Explosion and Whatchamacallit. Very well done. I know my candy, even though I don't eat it very often. All right. Well, <laughs> hopefully that gets our, uh, our listeners excited to eat some Halloween candy. Yeah, you better go trick-or-treating as adults. Creep people out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. All right, so that takes us on to some trailer reviews. Trailer reviews. <laughs> Here at A Play on Nerds, we have spent years refining our exclusive trailer rating system. At the low end of the scale, we have Don't Waste a Match. This movie is so bad that I wouldn't waste a single match to burn it Fahrenheit 451 style. And second from the bottom, we have We'll See. Maybe the trailer was too short. Maybe it was cut oddly. Or maybe we don't know what the hell we just watched. Eh, we'll We'll see. see. Up next, we have Give It a Buck. Whether you hit a red box, a dollar movie theater in the bad part of town, or a cheap online rental, give this movie a buck and enjoy it without breaking the bank. And at the top of our rating system, we have Shut Up and Take My Money. The wallets have been charmed out of our pockets, and we are ready to make our hard-earned cash disappear. And that's our patent-pending trailer rating system for A Play on Nerds. So for trailer reviews this week, we have one that I think everyone's excited about and probably everyone's talking about is Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. 
trailer two. We've already reviewed a trailer, but this is the most recent one. Yeah, there wasn't much in that first trailer. This one's more like, oh, this is a lot of stuff. Yeah, but we still don't know the main story, which I think is great. It's just saying a little bit, but doesn't tell us everything. Yeah, we got to see a little bit more of Luke and Ray's training. Right. You get to see a little bit of what John Boyega has been up to and some of the shenanigans he'll get into in this one. When I found you, I saw raw, untamed power. And beyond that, something truly special. Inside me has always been there. And I was awake. And I need help. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Let the past die. interesting is they don't really show much they don't ever show mark hamill uh luke with ray at the same time training and he's so angry the whole time like i'm wondering if he even is training her for she's just staying there trying to convince him to you know help her right, just right. Do, do it all herself because like i you know they never show it directly happening and he's all like angry this whole time so i yeah. don't know what his deal is there's just a lot of very heavy-handed imagery Mm-hmm. A lot of sort of force, like, ah, see, and mm, don't, you don't know what to expect. Ooh, red light, blue light. Ooh, <laughs> just a lot, a lot of that. I felt almost manipulated as a, as a viewer. They're trying to do that. They're trying to make you feel a certain way about this film. I don't know. I know, but if they're doing it well, I shouldn't know it's happening. Right. Well, I mean, all <laughs> Star Wars imagery is kind of heavy handed, good versus evil, that kind of thing. But this this trailer sort of reaffirms my uh, my theory that Ray is not going to be the chosen one and it's going to be Finn and her Finn deal dealing with the. Yeah. Her dealing with the anger of that will turn her to the dark side. I think my theory is that whole scene at the end where we show um, Kylo Ren reaching out a hand to her. Um, I show those two bringing balance to the force. They both become, she's supposed to be good and he's supposed to be evil, but then they realize they really need to work together and just make, make balance in the force and become neutralized almost. So I think they're going to kind of save the universe by joining up together and realizing it's not, it's not all black and white. And that's what I think is going to happen. I think it'd be really cool. And I think Finn and uh, what's his face? What's the other guy's name? Uh, Dam, Dam, Dameron Poe. Po Dameron. Po Dameron. Yeah. Po Dameron. 
they're just kind of helping them out. And, but they'll have a lot of fun fight scenes, and that's going to be like with the Chrome Trooper, played by Gwendolyn Christie, which should be exciting. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't agree with that assessment. I don't think it's going to go that way. Well, we will see, won't we? We will. And, <laughs> and you will owe me a nickel. I will. I'll send it to you in the mail. Um, <laughs> but this is definitely the action-packed Empire Strikes Back placeholder of this you know, trilogy, I think. It yes. seems like that. Wild Wars. Yeah. So what are you most uh, excited about? Whatever that new cute little penguin monster oh, no. is. That's bullshit. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for the merchandising surrounding that character. That's what it's there for, of course. Uh, they've shown us the action's going to be kicked up. Mm-hmm. Even maybe compared to the last two films that we've seen, which did have a lot of action. Uh, they showed us we're going to see a lot more lightsaber, a lot more force, a lot more that we didn't get in the last film. Get to see Snoke up close and personal. Get to see Snoke up close and personal. We're going to get a little bit more of the backstory of what the hell happened to Luke and his new fledgling Jedi Academy. I think they're going to flesh that out. And the Knights of Ren are going to get fleshed out a little bit, I hope. So they've never explained. Right. There's a lot to be excited about. I'm just excited for some clarity in the story. Right. And something I'm excited about is more Mark Hamill. Like, I want to see him in more things because he's he looks so powerful on screen now with yeah. this part. So. Time to get back out of voice acting and more on-screen stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, but this gets to show up and take my money, regardless. Of course. Me too. Shut up and take my money! If I can see it, I will go see it in theaters. Right. I think you'll find a way. Uh, so our second movie that we're going to review is Tragedy Girls. We picked sort of a horror thriller Slasher. film to match our Halloween theme. Right. This could fit right in with our 666 movies. Sometimes I just feel like nothing I do matters, like I'm not special. We only got one retweet today from your mom. Sad. We were just wondering if maybe you could give our blog a shout-out. A shout-out from me would be a little off-brand. I have 15,000 followers. You know what that means in a community like this? More to the left. His heart's more to the left. You're just hitting the phone, dude. I'm trying. Is trending. I really hope nothing bad happened to him. It's like, poof. He vanished, right? Anybody could be next. Even you. You can find more information on our Tragedy Girls Twitter page. Your brain is my charisma. You can do anything. Quick soundbite from the Tragedy Girls. Are you afraid that the killer will target you because of your infamous blog? We will not take any more shit from this serial killer. I'm so scared right now. <laughs> you look amazing. Oh, jeez. Michaela? Shit. Damn it, okay. I'm sorry. Stay in character. <sighs> Phone's off, but it's a matter of life and death. You bitches are crazy. We <laughs> <laughs> used to be the same, you and me. Do you remember our first time? And this appears to be two high school girls looking to gain like Instagram followers or social media followers of some sort who pose all who murder all these people in order to put themselves at the center of like an Instagram frenzy. Yeah, like somehow that puts them with more details about the murders or something so that people are always looking to them first for information on these killings. 
Um, and I think this is too scarily close to home. And the fact that kids are obsessed these days with how much followers they have, even, you know, elementary school age onward, um, how many followers, how many likes they're constantly looking at it. They've scientifically shown that when you see a like pop up on one of your posts, the endorphins in your brain light up as just like as if you had taken a drag off a cigarette or had a little bit of cocaine right. um, or having sex, like the same endorphins that happens. It's like this euphoria feeling the more likes you get. So you become addicted to it like any other drug. And this is like too real for me. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to see this. this is like scare me of having kids later on in life. Um, so, yeah. So these two girls conspire to murder a bunch of people and eventually get caught or something goes awry and it, them dealing with the drama surrounding getting caught probably. And I don't know. I, I I'm going to give this one, a give it a buck. Cause if I can catch this one for like a 99 cent rental on iTunes, I will, I'll, I'll pay 99 cents to watch this. I went the same way because I was about to say, I don't even care. Don't waste a match. But until I saw Craig Robinson's in it, I really like, yeah, him. I think he'll save the movie for me. So <laughs> I, I, I say, give it a buck too. And he's in that new ghost show with, uh, what's his face. It looked interesting. Oh, it's a, yeah. It's a half What's hour comedy. Face? So I don't know. We'll uh, that but yeah, okay. Give it a buck. That's give our overall buck. rating. Apparently same ratings for both. That's right. I like it. So that moves us into some radical recommends. I recommend. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. What do you recommend I do? I recommend pleasant. As always, we bring you something that we want you to check out our listeners because we are putting our stamp on it. Jarman, what's your recommendation this week? <laughs> I couldn't think of anything until the last minute, so he wanted to put me on the spot. But I actually had something I have something yeah. I can recommend. It's a very general type of thing, but okay. something I've come to terms with now being I'm 31 years old. I know many of our listeners may be much older or even a lot younger. Who knows? I, but, I've, I've come to terms with that as well. But we're, you know, we're getting in older. We're not in our early 20s anymore. We're not kids. We're at least adults now. And something right. I came to terms with is clothing and sizes. So for years, I've held on to my clothes when I was much thinner because um, I was, you know, 18, 19 years old and I was like 145 pounds. Now I'm over 200 pounds and it's not necessarily all fat. It's, you know, muscle, your, your body changes, you have bigger shoulders when you become an older male adult. Um, you know, when you're a woman, you get bigger hips, which is totally fine. Clothes aren't going to fit you anymore. And for the longest time, I've been wearing clothes that still didn't fit me, but I felt I'm still going to lose a little bit of this gut or I'm going to lose a little bit of this. So I'm going to hold on to these clothes and you're going to wear uncomfortable things. So my recommendation is get over yourself, buy clothes that fit you properly, like really properly. And not only will you feel more comfortable, but you'll feel more confident because you feel like you're not being squeezed and squished and you're not constantly thinking about those problem areas that you have in your body. So instead of worrying about that all day, you can think about what you're going to be saying or what you're how you're responding to people in the room or uh, enjoying yourself more. Because if you're constantly thinking about how do I look in these clothes instead of just being comfortable and having clothes that are loose enough to maybe hide those problem spots, you're not going to think about it anymore. So in the last few months, I've gotten enough new clothes where I've said, wow, I feel comfortable. I feel more confident. I might may still have that belly fat I don't like, but who cares? I feel I look good. You know, so just wear clothes that fit you and wear them correctly. This kind of like goes back to our five minute connoisseur or whatever it was we had before. Kind of five like minute kind of aficionado. Five minute aficionado. But just like it, I talked about then about wearing your clothes properly, tucking in, taking pride in your appearance, uh, and you'll it'll go a long way. But wear clothes that fit. And I know it sounds silly, but I think many people out there are probably doing the same thing I was doing for so long, and it's just not worth it. 
Wow. Germans Radical recommends this as being some life-changing philosophical shit. Mine's just for a Netflix show. <laughs> we'll go for it. Well, my Radical Recommend is a Netflix original uh, that Netflix is really pushing down my throat for a long time, and I kind of ignored it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like I'm being defiant to Netflix. I'm like, yeah, you don't control me. <laughs> I'm not going to watch that. I know you think I'm going to like this, but I'm not going to give it a chance. So I finally broke down and watched one of those things, and it is What Happened to Monday. Hmm. I haven't seen that one on there. And it is a dystopian future uh, where in order to get the planet Earth under control, they restrict it to one child per family. And Uh, right at the advent of this law, a woman has seven identical children. Oh, yes. It's played by the woman from the original Dragon Tattoo series. Yes. Nailed it. And for Prometheus. And for Prometheus. Um, so she plays seven identical twins who their grandfather has engineered this life where they share one life. The seven of them each get to go out one day of the week. They are named after that day of the week, but they all play the same person when they go out. Right. One ID. And they have like nightly meetings to go over what happened the day. So everyone's on the same page. They all work the same job. So they've been successfully running this life. And then one day Monday goes out and somewhere in the middle of the day, they lose track of Monday. Hmm. Monday doesn't come home. So then Tuesday has to go out. And each day a sister goes out and you f- you get to figure out a little bit more about what happened to Monday. Ah, fascinating. The sisters lives unravel and become people become aware of them. And it's be- becomes a, a thriller who done it while you uncover the mystery of what happened to the first sister. So totally worth watching. It's I I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Re- really, truly enjoyed it. My girlfriend watched it, but didn't tell me anything about it. So I don't know if she liked it or not, but I'm going to watch it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without giving anything away, it's it's a g- good ending. Very well constructed film. The whole you. you I was really worried that the like one person playing seven characters was going to get real thin, like an Eddie Murphy film. Oh. And I think they did. They did a very good job of avoiding that. Well, she's a great actress, too. She was oh, yeah. Fantastic in the original Dragon Tattoo series, too. Um. So, yeah, that's my rec- radical recommend. What happened to Monday? Fantastic. We're always recommending Netflix crap. They should be paying us. That's right. We need a sponsor. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a All right, so now we move on to a long list of thank yous for people who have commented on our last episode, either on Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, which YouTube came out of the woodwork this week. And just a, a quick word on our last episode. I'm going to say that our last episode was our, like, not, I'm not going to say most positively received, but we heard the most chatter about it, a ton of views, ton of clicks. Right. It just just crazy compared to some of our other episodes. So we did something right. We a just lot of don't engagement. know what. People have a lot of opinions about Star Trek and Orville. I think, I think it's what it is. That's right. I guess I'll go first. We got Kevin, yeah, go our, actually our old friend from back in high school who listens to the podcast on occasion. Um, he's, I've been watching the Orville. Haven't seen discovery. I find it entertaining, but thought it would be funnier based on the marketing. Exactly. Uh, but for some reason, pinching it as a comedy lessened the comedic impact. See, or pitching it as a comedy. Seems like the same jokes TNG would make, for example, Data not understanding human interactions versus Isaac on the Orville, uh, but when framed as trying to be funny, became inherently less funny, which 
I could see that being the case. Like you're prepped for it to be funny. So then those funny moments are less surprising. Uh, Drew, Drew, Drew Nichols, who uh, is a buddy of mine from college, uh, said that he hadn't seen Discovery yet, but he agreed with Jaron that the Orville is awesome. <laughs> I'm really still loving the Orville. I think it's great. <laughs> Watching Star Trek tonight. Uh, Mike on Twitter, who's like always retweeting us. He's fantastic. But he for this episode, he you know, special individualized comment to us. He says, oh, this should be fun <laughs> before he even listens yeah, to the episode. Good. So I, I like that. Michael McGovern on Facebook said uh, both are good. But I love Star Trek Discovery very much and only like the Orville so far. Regardless, very happy with two Star Trekish shows. That's absolutely true, Mike. Overall, two sci-fi shows on, on you know, mainstream media. Yeah. Uh, that's great. That's, that's good great. for I'm everyone. Happy for it too, yeah. And from YouTube now, these rest of these are all from YouTube. Um, Amistot simply says, Star Trek Discovery equals STD. <laughs> which is, is the new shorthand which i love but the actual abbreviation they officially are using is star trek dsc or stdsc so just put that out there go for it uh, so then this next one was in regards to one of our new nerd news story about right. the butterflies around seattle so yeah great uh, eccentrica galumbits i don't know how if i said that right you can see it on our youtube thing Right. Uh, you really should ignore this psychopathic idiot. It's just one very sick dude. Calling attention to him makes the world a little more awful. I came here to hear discussion on Orville Discovery, and I got this. <laughs> um, I, did, I, did, I had a nice response to he or she on uh, YouTube saying that, you know, we talk about a lot of random crap. And we even said in the episode, we are not endorsing this person's crap. It's just interesting thing that happened. But it's weird that, that that this person responded, and I, they may hear this too. And I hope they don't take offense that they're responding like we're the mainstream media, like we're the we're the <laughs> giant spotlight being shine, shined on this problem. Uh I don't know. <laughs> I just don't. It kind of it takes me aback, and I don't. Sorry if we offended, but I mean, I feel like it's yeah, a compliment we, that they think that we're that important. That's cool. We talk about a lot of terrible stuff, so <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's what that's what you're here for. I'm sorry. <laughs> But come back and listen. Yeah. Yeah, come um, back. We'll keep bringing other stuff that's less terrible. So Doug 34 said uh, Chad Coleman was also in the expanse. He was our connection between uh, the captain of the discovery or not captain, the, the lead of the discovery. Uh, he uh, played her brother on, on Walking Dead, but he's also playing right. the partner of somebody on the Orville. And he's also in the expanse, another popular sci-fi show, which I've not seen so, yet, but everyone so raves is, about. He is a lord of sci-fi. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, Martin Dalma, I don't know what this is from. Live long and prosper the Orville. CBS Discovery sucks. <laughs> well, that's fine, Martin Dalma. You can have that opinion. I guess that's, I guess that's okay. Yeah. Okay. Benjamin G. I'm really enjoying the Ar Orville. It's like a modernized TNG with more funny sprinkled throughout. STD, on the other hand, wants me to like the mutineer. Nope. <laughs> that's fair enough. I mean... I agree with his assessment of that. It's like TNG, but funnier. I, I like it a lot. All right. This is from Cellophanity Frog. The Orville has the heart and soul of Trek with its positive messages and social commentary. Ensemble cast of likable characters, utopian society, and episodical space adventures. While STD takes the name of Trek and goes boldly into a story with none of those things. They have familiar Trek names of things. That's all they have. They don't have likable characters working together. They are unlikable and at each other's throats. They don't have the optimist message that humanity is much better off in the future. Discovery is pure hell, and nobody would fantasize about living aboard her the way we do with the Enterprise or the Orville. 
Add this to the fact that the writing is full of nonsensical plot holes, blatant disregard for canon, and absolutely no shits given towards maintaining continuity with the shows before or after it in the timeline, Enterprise and TOS. And you have a real mess in STD. Uh, what you get with STD is a reimagining of what Trek could be, with most of the efforts going into special effects and CGI and very little going into writing making sense or the characters being developed. No regard for what fans expect or want from a Trek show, they made this show for a new generation of fans who went to the J.J. movies. The Orville, on the other hand, is made by a guy, like me, who growing up watching the TOS and TNG shows and has been missing that kind of show ever since. So if you're like me and Seth... McFarlane, and want something that is anything like TOS or TNG to watch again, you're not going to get it from CBS. The closest you're going to get to TNG nostalgia porn is the Orville. <laughs> I thank God for Seth because I needed a new show that felt like classic Trek. The Orville feels like coming home. Sure, there is a weirdo uncle visiting that keeps me keep making penis jokes, but it still feels like home. STD feels like somebody blew your old neighborhood and... Wait, what? <laughs> STD feels like somebody blew your old neighborhood, and when you find your family, they all hate you now, and they look nothing like you remember them, and they act nothing like they used to. Whew. Well, that's a... I hate it when therapy. people go blow a neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, I blew the whole neighborhood. So I just want to say thank you to Cellophanity Frog, because you. this is officially the record. This is the longest anything anyone has ever written about anything we have done. <laughs> And we can't even be sure he listened to the whole episode, but if you did, that's awesome. But, Jeremy, you can agree that that is by far the longest anything. Oh, longest response we've gotten to anything we've ever done. Yeah, that's true. Like, that was the most, that, this, this thing probably represents two to three minutes of typing. Yeah. <laughs> that we got for, like, somebody took two or three minutes and spent it on us. So and I am flattered. Yes. Thank you, Cellophanity Frog. Thank you. And, and thoughtful insight there. It's all very good points of view. And then finally, Michael Dignum. Uh, the Orville is Star Trek TNG season eight, and it's great. So most of these reactions saying the Orville is better than Discovery. <laughs> or at least not as underrated as people thought it would be. Right. And I will argue for a lot of those points that Discovery is takes place during the Klingon War that we all knew happened, but we just never saw on screen before. So, yeah, it's going to be a bit darker. It's during a wartime. So give it a shot. That's all I got to say. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the last people we have to thank is our listeners. Uh, thanks again internet for joining us uh, we will keep being your nerdy co-hosts co if you keep being our nerdy audience thanks again internet stay nerdy my friends thanks for listening to a play on nerds find all of this content and even more nerdy news reviews and fun at www.aplayonnerds.com Com. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter so you know the exact second we release new podcasts, articles, and other nerdy content. We know you're impatient. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Buzzsprout, Podomatic, and whatever the hell else you use. Also, please leave us a rating and review on your chosen podcast platform so we can be discovered by even more nerds like yourself. However you do it, check us out. And how. How?